In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we welcome you to the All Souls Sermon Podcast. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, Amen. Whoa, Jesus, as in stop. What exactly do you mean by these woes, W-O-E-S, these proclamations of ruinous trouble? I would certainly prefer to be able to comfortably pay my bills than to live paycheck to paycheck or wonder if I might go bankrupt. I ate decently yesterday and don't foresee unnecessarily missing a meal. I would certainly rather laugh than cry and be liked than hated. And I suspect all of you, like me, would rather be on the receiving end of a blessing than the recipient of a woe. So what is Jesus saying? And how are we to find ourselves as those being blessed? As with many other passages in Scripture, nuances of language and culture have blurred over the centuries, hindering our ability to more clearly understand a text like this. Thankfully, resources are available like commentaries to help us uncover what is really going on. And as we take a closer look at this gospel, my hope is that you and I will come away from today understanding that the real issue in this passage has little to do with our bank account and much more to do on our hearts and our disposition toward God. As our passage begins, Jesus has been up on the mountain with some of his disciples, and he's called 12 of them to be his apostles. And when he descends back down to the plain, he finds himself amidst a larger group of disciples and a great multitude of others from all over. Not just from Israel, but from the sea coasts of the Gentiles, people who have heard of him and want to hear him and to be healed by him. They hope to hear him and be cleansed of demonic oppression, of unclean spirits that afflict them. When he encounters this group, the reaction we see from Jesus is not to begin teaching, but to heal. They sought to touch him because of the power or virtue that came out of him. And Luke repeats for us that Jesus healed them. All, demonstrating a concept that you and I are very familiar with. I don't care how much you know until I know how much you care. He meets them in their place of need first. Perhaps in doing so, some of them stop seeing Jesus simply as a miracle worker, but would perhaps be open to following him and to being disciples. Before he asked anything of them, or of us, Jesus first gives of himself. Any command regarding our behavior is not to earn his grace, but is in response to it. Having settled those issues of healing, Jesus then starts to teach. This sermon, which we call the Sermon on the Plain, corresponds to Matthew's Sermon on the Mount. And in it, Jesus will describe what the life of a disciple should look like. And in this opening passage, he starts with something that cuts to our foundational attitude that we should have toward God. 
Like Matthew's version, this sermon begins with a series of beatitudes. Blessings upon those specifically who are poor, hungry, sad, and disliked or hated. In these blessings, we hear echoes of Mary's Magnificat, of the turning of the tables where the lowly and hungry are exalted and the rich and the well-fed are sent empty away. This reversal of fortunes begins somewhat immediately, but will come to its ultimate fulfillment at the end of time. And quite frankly, most of the crowd who listened when Jesus first preached these words likely fell into the category of those who were poor, hungry, and sad. Many of them, as you should recall, were very immediately sick, having just been healed, traveling perhaps with friends or family to see and hear Jesus. Culturally, as sick people, they lived almost assuredly at the margins of society. Truly, we tend to keep sick people apart from us unless we are related to them. This was even more true, I think, in Christ's day where even someone with a skin disorder like psoriasis would have been required to live outside of town, would have been excluded from participating in most aspects of society unless they were healed. Therefore, most of the people in this group were likely poor, hungry, prone to sadness or depression, discounted by society. It would be understandable for us then to conclude that these blessings might have been intended as words of comfort or even to pity to that group of people. But that would not be the best conclusion for us to make, for it stops far short of the truth. As I mentioned, time and language and culture make it a challenge for us to understand a passage like this. When we hear words like poor and hungry, your mind and mine likely go to literal, quantitative definitions. How much money is in the bank account? How much food is in the fridge? But the biblical meanings are much more nuanced and quite a bit broader. For example, consider Matthew's version of this sermon, where he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, or blessed who are the hungry and thirsty for righteousness. There's more going on here. The way that these words are used by Matthew and in, throughout the Old Testament, we see, if we study at least a little, that these words have a much more qualitative sense to them. They speak something of quality of life and especially the quality of a spiritual life. To phrase it most simply, those who are literally poor and hungry are just not literally that but they spiritually recognize and live as those who look to and depend upon God for everything. Consider our Lord's Prayer and the line, Give us this day our daily bread. Literal, daily awareness and dependence upon God for all that we have. This is the attitude Jesus is looking for and expecting from people who call themselves his disciples, who follow him. As we continue in Luke's sermon, the spiritual sense comes forth even more clearly as Luke turns from blessings to these woes, continuing the role reversal narrative. 
Jesus makes dire promises to those who are rich, well-fed, laughing, and popular. Once again, these words fall upon our ways that likely doesn't realize the full reality of the situation and quite honestly may have offended us. But again, Jesus is not talking about our money or about our pantry. Rather, he is talking about our hearts. Jesus is pointing and talking about those who are self-sufficient, who rely merely on their own efforts and their human connections to make their existence more comfortable, who've lost sight of the broader truth of God. These eat without concerning themselves with others. The laughter referred to here is not the laughter of joy, but rather a haughty, prideful, disdainful laughter more akin to gloating. I'm glad I'm not like one of those. This is a group of people who uses power, wealth, and privilege to surround themselves with people like them and people who like them. They refuse to see and acknowledge that they are completely dependent on God for their very existence. We might perhaps think of Luke's tale later in the gospel in chapter 18 of the rich man and the poor beggar Lazarus, who the rich man after his death still sees the beggar as nothing more than someone who might bring some water to cool his tongue. Rather, as we discussed in our stewardship series last fall, we have to remember that everything we have and everything about us and all of our abilities comes from God, regardless of our socioeconomic class. Certainly those who are literally poor might have an easier time being reliant on God because we simply don't have the means to rely on ourselves. But Jesus calls all of us to look to him and to him alone for our dependence. Those of us who are literally well off Jesus calls us and beckons us to live like disciples into the truth that all we have is from him. Do not trust in him, as Paul says, as those who only hope in Christ for this life, but who live into and recognize the reality of the resurrection and the eternal life, that we come from God and return to him. Luke again provides us an example of what this might look like in chapter 19. Perhaps you'll remember the story of Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector and actually chief of the tax collectors, who was very wealthy, says the scriptures, but who also was considered and called a sinner. When he encounters Jesus, he recognizes the reality of who he is and who God is. And he turns and changes his ways. The way of discipleship for all of us goes back to the very first commandment. I am the Lord your God, and you shall have no other gods before me. So let us all be determined to put God first. And regardless of our wealth or lack thereof, to recognize our dependence upon him him alone. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of All Souls Episcopal Church. For service times and more information, go to allsoulsokc.com. God be with you.